whether it's in the gym, whether it's on the pitch, whether it's in a meeting, I've given everything and I feel as though that's what's right for the team and what's right for me. The type of player and athlete that I am, it's always kind of like, okay, give absolutely everything. Kind of push yourself as far as you can because you know that nobody else has probably done that. And it's like always try to do that a little bit more. The official Manchester City podcast. Welcome to the latest instalment of the Manchester City podcast with me, Rob Pollard and Nada Manua. And today we've got a very special guest. It's Steph Horton, uh, the City captain. Nadam, you're friends with Steph. Yes. Uh, somebody you know very well. You yes. must be looking forward to this episode. Yeah, absolutely. The captain of the, of the football club and think of all the success they've had across the years and the growth that they've had across the years as well. If there's ever going to be somebody that can tell that story and also sort of speak of their significance to the club and to English football, I think that's Steph, so yeah, it'll be really good. Yeah, the development of the women's game, but particularly Manchester City women over the last few years has been, has been incredible and, and she's been at the heart of it. So uh, very much looking forward to getting inside that story. Uh, here it is, without further ado, our conversation with Steph Horton. It will be Steph Horton, it will be 4-0. It's another spectacular Manchester City goal. Steph, thank you so much for joining us. We usually start with each guest taking us back to their childhood. What was that like and, and when did that interest in football first spark? So for me, it was probably like when I was around four or five and I can just remember playing in the streets with my mates, uh, playing in the yard with my dad and like just being ultra competitive, basically. I think that's when I'm just so competitive anyway. But I think when you're playing with the older kids and... Um, the fact that I was a girl playing with the lads, I always wanted to kind of make sure that I was meant to be there. And I think that was probably apparent when I went to primary school as well. And coming from the northeast, they're absolutely football mad. So I think there was always going to be one sport that I was going to play, which was football. And to be able to grow up in the northeast and play football and be around them types of people probably really helped with my career because they really supported what I wanted to do. But ever since then, all I wanted to do was play footy, yeah. When did things start to get serious for you? Probably when I got scouted for Sunderland, to be honest. I went to like a holiday camp, so my mum just basically wanted us out of the house for two days. So I got sent to a Sunderland <laughs> so like, like it is, yeah. holiday camp with, yeah, mom, yeah, yeah, with yeah, my yeah, mates. Yeah. It, it's actually true. I was like, she's like, I can't have you in the house. You need to go and do some football or whatever. And um, a Sunderland scout was like, do you fancy going and training with the women's team? And at the time, there was literally just the women's team. There was no academy like there is now. And... My dad was like, well, what, what do you want to do? And bear in mind, I'm only like nine and ten and you're going to play with people that are like a lot older than you. He's like, well, just go and see. And if you like it, you like it kind of thing. And then that's when the introduction of academies came in. And I think once you get a taste of that and playing for a team that you supported when you were younger, I think it's kind of like, right, OK, 100% want to do this. What was the setup like at Sunderland in, in, in that time? Presumably the, game, the game's changed a lot. There's a oh, lot in the left there. There's a lot yeah. in the left there, yeah. You know when Pete, and he like when you do these sorts of things and you talk about it and stuff, I'm like, oh my god, like the journey that we've been on's been pretty cool. And um, basically, we trained twice a week, um, and we trained from like maybe seven till nine on a pitch with no floodlights. So you're getting there as quick as you possibly can to make sure that you're trying to get as much daylight as possible to be able to train. And obviously, a lot of the girls used to drive to train, and my dad used to drop me off. The girls used to put the, the headlights on the car onto the pitch so that we could have an extra 20 minutes of football. You have to pay to play because 
we weren't funded. There was no investment in the game and you're getting hand-me-down kits from the kit man at Sunland with coach's kit and, and I always remember just absolutely like wearing this jumper absolutely every single day and absolutely loving it because all you want to do is wear the Sunland badge or wear the jumper and yeah, it's massively trained in terms of the training, the facilities, nutrition. There's just so much more things that are accessible for players now. But to be honest, I wouldn't change it for the world because I think it kind of brings you back down to earth and you have that humility about you that you know where you've come from to get to, to this point now. Interestingly, when everything sounds that bad, you sound like you enjoyed it more than, say, when everything was basically on a platter for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think across the years people still have that sort of love for the game at those sorts of young ages, or is it different now, do you think? I think it's different. I think I noticed like, a lot of the girls that come up through our academy and development, and even with the young lads coming through, obviously you're at a club that's absolutely amazing and we have all these amazing facilities and we get nice pictures, the watered, you get good meals in the canteen, you get your recovery looked after, there's ice baths there and back then there was none of that. So even to get a jumper meant the whole world or even to get a pitch with a bit like floodlights for an hour was like something that you were like, oh my God, I want, I want to be there and you want to enjoy. But I think obviously football's moved on, which is great because the girls have got so many opportunities to be even better than what we were when we were younger. But I think to have that bit where you had to fight for everything and to really work hard to get them opportunities. I think I look at a lot of the Northeast girls that have played football, the likes of Demi, Jill Scott, um, Lucy Bronze, and I think a lot of them characteristics would be, a lot of people would say that about them as well. Yeah, do you know, that's that's such a good point. And I'm sort of faced with this. And to be fair, it's probably the world overall. As you get older, you look at today and it's different to what it was from back mm-hmm. like when you were. And if you think you're like a normal person or a good person, it's like, well, you're grounded in a different way. But I would not wish for today's academies to be anything like what you went through. No. Even though it creates good people. So you're sort of trapped in this sort of like position where you accept that it's different, but then appreciate that the different made you who you are, if you mm-hmm. know what I mean. Yeah, it sounds like that experience is giving you certain morals and values that you wouldn't want to change. But I would presume as well, if you hear a young person in City's Academy today or, or from the academy in the first team sets up and they moan, your tolerance for that must be pretty low because you must be looking across that room thinking you don't even know you've got it made kind of thing. Yeah, and I think at times it's hard not to bite at them and to kind of say something straight away because ultimately they have to kind of go through that experience to actually realise what they have got. Yeah. And I think for us that have been through that journey, I think it is maybe if it is constantly someone moaning about something, it's like, okay, you actually don't realise that, yeah, you deserve this opportunity to be in this building and to be at this amazing club, but it could be a lot worse. So use as much as you possibly can to get the best out of your career. And I think that's what we've got to do, especially within the women's setup is like, if you get a chance to play at this club, use absolutely everyone and everything here to be the best that you possibly can be. And a lot of girls do that, to be honest. And I think we have to kind of get that from players that come in at 10, 11 year old because it would be actually frightening how good our team would be in the next 10 years. Rob, you give uh, grumpy old man vibes. Would you say that's about right? Yeah. Not all the time. But most of the time. Sometimes, some of the time. yeah. And I think as I got older, I started to realise that, like, it seems, seems like a dumb saying, but it's like you only know what you know. Yeah. So for somebody that's sort of raised in this sort of era of football, this is their norm. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we can say to them, 
this is how hard I had it back in the day, but it doesn't necessarily click because they can't even begin to imagine what that's like. And they've never seen it before it, either. Exactly, yeah. But I think that's the difference then between, say, um, say like true leaders and ones that just shout. Like a true leader realizes that there's like a difference in terms of how people see the world today. And you figure out the way to get the best of them, but to keep them grounded. Because there's different ways to gain the same values. Whereas some other people, like the dinosaurs, they just shout, oh, back in my day, I used to yeah. have to do this and learn <laughs> I have to do that. You know what I mean? And that's, that's the vibe you give. Glad, what thanks a dinosaur. very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Glad you mentioned the word leadership there because I was going to come on to that. I mean, Laura Coombs has just uh, told us that she sees you as a leader, looks up to you. Do you have, have you read anything about leadership? Have, do you have like a, a style of leadership or, or are you just yourself and that you've kind of grown and developed in the game and that's in itself is, is leadership? I think um, in terms of like leaders, when I was growing up and stuff, like I used to look up to the likes of Beckham when he was England captain, Steven Gerrard because of how he kind of always kind of grabbed the game by a scruff of the neck and kind of just led the team and pushed them through hard moments. And obviously given the captaincy here when I was quite young and England captaincy as well. So I would say probably my first six months in them types of roles, I probably tried to be someone I wasn't, I was not and I tried to be everybody's mate and I tried to please everybody and I think you quickly find out that it affects you more than it does other people. And for me, people go, was that your hardest part of your career? And I'm like, well, yeah, it was hard, but it was probably my best because I actually learned so much about myself and I'd learned the leader I wanted to be. And regardless if I have the armband or not, I always want to lead by example. I always want to show that I'm passionate. I wear my heart on my sleeve. And especially playing for a club like this, it means the world to us to do that. And I, I know how fortunate I am to do that and to lead the club. But I think over the years, you do learn a lot about yourself and you learn a, b a lot about people. I think for me, it's about realising the characters you've got in the changing room, the staff around you and using their strengths and weaknesses. And I am quite vocal and I like to communicate a lot, mainly because it keeps me switched on. Um, and because of the position that I play and I've got a chance to be able to do that. But it's a role I absolutely love, to be honest. And I think when you enjoy a role like that, it makes it a little bit easier. But when I'm here, it's, it comes quite naturally. And I think that's because of the experience I've had. So you mentioned Gerard, you mentioned Beckham. Who, was there anyone in the women's game that you sort of see from that perspective? Or is it mostly just the men? Fair white, I think. Okay. In terms of when I first moved into England senior squad, so I was like 16 then, she was the first person to kind of put her arm around us and be like, if you need anything, you know I'm here. Whether it's when you're back in the room, just drop us a message. Uh, we can go out for like a walk, but mainly just go and enjoy yourself. And like them little things, like they really settle you into an environment and knowing that someone's kind of got your back and they realize that it's going to be a different journey for you from the beginning. And she's so experienced and them moments. And it's not just fear as a captain, but there was other leaders like, like Rachel Yankee, Kelly Smith, they all led in different, different ways. And you have to learn off them players because they're absolutely legends of the game and I missed out someone important actually Vincent Company like especially being in and around this environment and being in a club like for me he's the ultimate captain he's just someone that has got absolutely everything in terms of his communication style his ability to when the games get tough he kind of rolls up his sleeves and digs in for the lads and stuff and but yeah, I think it's important that you kind of look at different leaders and how they do and kind of adapt it to how I lead. Laura mentioned Vincent Company as well, actually, because her we, a question from the last guest for her was, who would you like to see replace Pep when the, you know, the sad day arrives and he has, has to leave? 
and she mentioned Vincent. So when you came here, did you feel his aura and, you know, the, the imprint he'd had on, on this football club? Yeah, I think, that, I'm guessing it's not just him. I think there's obviously a lot of experienced players around him and stuff, but I think obviously watch the documentaries and every time I met him, he just had an aura about him and he just spoke so much sense in terms of football and he was always quite in, wanted to be involved in our setup and come to the games. I'm sure his daughter was mascot for a game, so that was quite nice. But I think you can tell his imprint on the club, not just when he was here, but now as well. People have so many good memories about him and the fact that people are talking about him to be potentially succeeding Pep is probably the, the ultimate honour, really, to be honest, after after Pep. But yeah, I think just the way that he absolutely loved football and the way he wanted to always get better as well. How do you two know each other? Because you seem very familiar there. And I wasn't <laughs> sure. Yeah, this I, year, wasn't so aware. Meter, yeah. I, I was not aware. Yeah, so how did, me, yeah. how did that happen? It was online, I mm-hmm. think. I'm not sure if it was when you were at Arsenal or mm-hmm. earlier, but there was a link because I was at Sunderland, I yeah. think. Yeah. Because she's, she's a big fan. So I think when she was at Sunderland, when I was at Sunderland, she probably got a shirt with my name mm-hmm. and number on the back. Right, yeah, okay. So, so that's about right. Through, you know? Is that the way it happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it, and I was, I was trying to think about this beforehand. If it's going back then, are we talking like MySpace? We're we thinking Instagram. Was it MySpace there? It might have just been Instagram, to be honest. But I remember seeing you at the Emirates when Sunderland played Arsenal and we were there. Do you know what? I don't think it's Instagram. No, God, MySpace. I hope my MySpace yeah, not, my account's space. not open friends still. Friends basically was like God. Tom. Everyone's friends with Tom and yeah. I was friends with Steph. That's yeah. the way it works, yeah. Simple. Tom was a legend, yeah. yeah. yeah he had time for everybody, didn't yeah, he, Tom? The, yeah, the main man. Can I say something, by the way? When you mentioned leaders and Vincent Company specifically, like, Vinny's a good friend of mine, so clearly I'm biased, you know what I mean, with yeah. everything I'm going to say. I'm not going to say he's a single negative because he's not. He's a perfect human being. He should be managed the football club in the future, yeah. whatever. But he says a lot of stuff, but he backs it. 100% and if he says he wants to be involved in a women's team he wants to be involved in a women's yeah. team if he says he wants to try and help you and speak to you and make you better he means it but I've had other captains and leaders who say, who say it because they think they have to yeah. but they don't follow it necessarily back it up yeah. that's why anyone when you speak about him like everything he said he was going to do he did even whether it's well can I tell a story please do yeah go on okay so bear with me guys so it was a pre-season game it was against Inter Milan uh, okay. in America. And this is after Inter Milan had just won the Champions League, yeah. And I think it was when City would, it was the first tour to America, so it wasn't like City City. It's like, oh, you guys are so cute. You made it over here to this tour. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, you guys are great. <laughs> and um, Inter Milan were like killing City. I was on the bench and it's like Coutinho was playing a 16-year-old, all this stuff. They were killing City. And whenever things were going wrong for Vinny on the field as a, as a collective, he'd try and fight his way through it, literally, not just metaphorically. So Samueletto, I think it was, was getting kicked quite heavily by Vinny in the first half, yeah, heavily. So I think at halftime, Eto spoke to the Torre brothers to try and say, just could you get Vinny to calm down a little bit? You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's a bit too much, so on and so forth. And Vinny said, no, no, no. And tell him that if he complains, every time he complains, I'll kick him again, yeah? So what do you think that 45 minutes was like in the second half? It was exactly the same. In fact, I'd say more violent, yeah? So he is a man of his word. And that seems like nothing, but it's a preseason game. And that kind of shows me, like, this guy's all in with everything. Yeah. He's that guy. I feel for Samueletto with that story, from being all honest. All he needs to do is stop complaining. Yeah. So whose fault is it, really? Oh, no, did he come off? Yes, I had to, <laughs> to come off. You know what I mean? Like, But that, that's Vinny. He's, like, committed with everything. When he's on the field, that game is everything yeah. to him. His teammates are everything to him. Whether it's training, playing in matches, playing a card game, like 
that's who he is. He's obsessed. He's obsessed with just like winning, and getting better, and doing it as a collective. So I was to say, I'm biased. I love the guy. He's so. got a he's got a massive legacy here. <laughs> statue. He's got a statue yeah, here exactly. which, which says everything. You've obviously had a massive a massive impact on the women's game in uh, Manchester City. Are you aware of kind of your legacy, or are you still very much in career mode and not not doing not this thing again? You're doing no. this thing again. Every every time someone comes on, he talks about their we life have to look after forward. football. But like, she's still playing football. We've got a lot to, you know. Trying to. Yeah, like, what, what is this? She literally just going on the weekend and you're talking about, like, legacies. I know, I know. But it's important to be aware of. And I think you must you must be aware. There's an impact. And every player we ever ask about leadership, you're always mentioned. You, you, you must be aware of that impact you've had. Yeah, I think when I do, like, podcasts and I'm on TV and, and we speak about the club and you think back, I've been here 10 years, so it's obviously been a long time and we've done a lot of things and a lot of good things and we've achieved a lot as a team. And to be part of that and like one of the main parts of that is actually really special, but I think the type of person and player I am, it's more about like, okay, next game, how do I get better over the next three games? Like, how do I kind of impact my team as much as I possibly can? But I think in their moments, you try and think about what you can do after but I don't want to stress us out so much that I don't enjoy being present in this moment and I think everybody just keeps going play as long as you possibly can and stay fit as long as you possibly can and I think that is my my focus at the moment is just doing as much as I can for the club doing as much as I can for me to keep playing the best football and kind of do the things like City TV away from here just to kind of keep on with my punditry work and uh, hopefully that'll be something that I could do in the future. How do you feel with your form and, and fitness and and everything else? Yeah, I feel really good at the moment. I'm really enjoying my football. I feel as though I needed to run a game just to kind of get my rhythm back. And obviously sometimes you feel the pressure of what happened in the summer. I think when you're coming back, you put extra pressure on yourself to be the player that you are. But I'm only human. I missed quite a bit of football and I've come back in. And especially after Christmas, I felt like more myself in terms of Physically, I've felt fine all season. I've not missed a training session, which I think people were like, oh, do you only train maybe two, three times a week? Well, no, I'm actually there every single session. And I feel as though now I'm having an impact on games and helping the team win. Fantastic. What do you actually enjoy then? Because obviously, like, you're not old, but you're one of the older ones. Mm -hmm. What do you enjoy on a day-to-day basis, given the fact you've done it for so long? You know what? The feeling of, like, knowing that you can come off the pitch and knowing that you've just given absolutely everything. Okay, tiredness. You like feeling tired? Yeah, I feel as well. Like, I'd like to know I've worked hard. Okay. I know it's a bit of a weird thing, but I think you talk about Vinny and yeah. he gives absolutely everything. I'd like to think that no matter whether it's in the gym, whether it's on the pitch, whether it's in a meeting, I've given everything and I feel as though that's what's right for the team and what's right for me on a personal level. And the type of player and athlete that I am, it's always kind of like, okay, give absolutely everything. Yeah, Kind of push yourself as far as you can because you know that nobody else has probably done that. And it's like, always try to do that a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. Where does that end, though? Because you can push and push and push. You have to have a... Does she? A limit. Does she? Well, everyone has it. You have to get to bed at some point, don't we? Do you know what I mean? There's only so much you can do. I think for me, like, getting a bit older, um, and I don't want to talk about my age because I think people do focus a lot on, yes. like, yeah. when you get to 30, it's like, oh, my God, when are you retiring? And I'm like, well, hold on a minute. Like, there's still players that are, like, absolutely ripping up any league in the next when the 36 37 yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. but i think it's like find out what works best for you and it might be i do a lot more pilates than i used to do before and that might replace a lot more running outside but i'm still able to keep my fitness on the bike or do as much as i can in the session i think it's more like 
not necessarily just running and doing everything at 100% that everybody can see. It's the, the stuff away from that as well that like probably does make the difference. What about the dressing room this season? How would you compare that to previous ones? You know what? I've, the girls are absolutely amazing. Uh, I think in terms of atmosphere and positivity and energy, it's probably one of the best teams I've been part of. And I think for us to be able to create that and create that culture where people can be themselves and can be free to potentially be in a mood one day, but be okay the next day and not be judged for that is we're in a really strong position. And that's credit to the girls themselves because I think naturally, I think people try and push that side a little bit in terms of trying to get to know new players. And for those that have been here for a long time, we you want them to be part of the club and feel as at home really because we see them more than <laughs> I see my family most of the time. And if you can come in here and be really comfortable and and still maybe after training get a coffee together, then we're in a really great position. And when the bad times and the negative times have come this season with a bad result, we've always responded positively, which is amazing. And in terms of the the growth and the development of, of everything, I don't just mean on the pitch, but like everything around it here at City, do you feel it's gone from strength to strength each year? or And how, how much further can, can this all go, do you think? Yeah, every year it seems to be something new. I think this year was more more coverage on the TV, whether that was with Sky or BBC, there's games on every single weekend, which is something maybe three or four years ago we were dying just to get one game in a week, no matter what channel it was on. And obviously now we're getting bigger crowds, which I think with TV, sometimes the crowds then suffer. But I feel as though we're getting constant crowds coming in. We're playing a bigger stadium. So to play the had this season was amazing. Other teams are playing at their men's grounds as well. But I think overall, commercially, People are seeing the girls as athletes and, and superstars, which is great. And the game can go where, where it wants to go. And for me, it's just making sure that you don't have four or five clubs that are really leading the way in this country. I think it has to yeah. be Spread. 12, 13, 14. Even the championship needs to get up yeah. to the level. So when they do make the transition into WSL, it's easier. Do you know, you mentioned how you play in, in bigger stadiums, there are more games on TV and the like. Do you think you're at a point yet where every player in the league is excited by that or there's still some that may be a bit nervous because it's such a sort of big big stage for them to perform on? It's definitely becoming more the norm. I can remember we played Man United in 2019 at the Etihad and there was a lot of girls that had never played in a big stadium. They'd only played in the academy stadium and I can remember the nerves in training the day before and I'm like, this, is, this just wouldn't happen yeah. just because it's United. It, it's because of the occasion and the fact that we'd sold a lot of tickets and all your friends and family are coming and they're coming to watch you play. But now I think a lot more girls get excited by playing in front of these big crowds and playing under pressure. And there's an expectation for us as a club to be playing the best brand of football. And we need to kind of like that challenge and like embrace it a little bit. And I feel as though we are doing that because the girls are going internationally and playing at these big stadiums all the time and whether that's for England or different countries people are pushing the barrier in that sense here's a question that was asked by Laura who was our last uh, podcast guest she said what positives came from the biggest negative situation in your career so what was you know a really difficult thing that you had to encounter but what positives came came out of that I think um Injuries are always one. I think that obviously the tough moments and I've had big injuries like I've done my ACL, I broke my leg, 
two days before a World Cup. And for a young player to kind of go through that, obviously, you all you want to do is play football and you don't know anything else different than play football. But I think it's okay to be like vulnerable in them first few days and to kind of get your head around an injury. But I think for me, my mindset when these setbacks happen is like, okay, like, how can I get even better? What can I work on now that I've not had a chance to work on when I'm on the pitch every single day? And in their moments and with my recent Achilles injury, it was like, okay, like, I know that I'm going to be fitter than anyone. I know that I'm going to be stronger than anyone. And to have that mentality to constantly keep going because I could have easily quit. I was at a stage in my career where I was like, okay, I've, I've won a lot of things in Man City. I've won a lot of things with clubs. I've represented my country. I've captained my country. But there's always a push to be better and a push to help. And I think for me, I learned a lot about myself in them in, in them moments. But I think always trying to go, okay, what what positives can I get out of it? And for me, it was like, okay, my fitness. I'm going to be. I become stronger mentally for it because I could easily just stop but I'm not going to. So you, you say that then. So when somebody wants to push himself the way that you do, why would you ever stop? Like, when are you ever going to stop your career? You'll be 100 years old knowing they can still find something. You could be That's the first 101 year old. I think people are like, when, when do you want to stop? And I'm like, I actually don't know because it's been part of my life for so long. And it's like, okay, but then that's why I think I know I need to have another focus yeah. when I stop playing. You don't want that. No, I don't. Forever, I just want to play, don't you? Really, to be honest. And I'm not afraid to admit that. I think it's okay to do that. Okay. For all the years that you've played, you've probably seen like a significant growth in the women's game overall in terms of coverage, chatter and everything within that last year or so to this point. Like, where do you see the sort of women's football being in England from that point or even in the UK, would you say? Oh, crazy. I honestly think it's... You obviously see what happened after the Euros and the girls winning it and... Like the amount of people that come to our fans and honestly, the manager does a huddle after every game That's, and yeah, the amount yeah. of times I hear Chloe, Chloe, Chloe and I'm like, she'll be over in a minute and I feel like saying <laughs> Chloe just go because, yeah, yeah. but I mean, it's great. Like people absolutely see these girls as their idols and the growth can be so big if they go and do well in the World Cup. 100% and that's the place we want to be in yeah and my last question in relation to that sorry Rob I've kind no, of no, go. no 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 not right. at all not at all is at this point now you know your age doesn't really matter as such but when you're in your 30s like the future of the game itself tends not to feature people who are in their 30s as such so if the game does continue to grow in that side like where do you see yourself within it to be honest I would love to be able to work for the club in terms of influencing either the pathway of young girls coming into the first team or being around the first team where I could influence the team with my experience, but also whether it's coaching or managing or whatever it might be. Because when you've lived a first team environment for as many years as I have and the professionalism as well, I think that those are things that people and young girls will need is someone else apart from their teammates to speak to and I could definitely see myself in a role of that capacity whether that is through kind of bringing the next generation into the club and teaching them what it's like to be like at City and what is expected of them but also being in a first team environment where the pressure is to win. But your experience would be crazy not to harness that surely. You just mentioned the word idols there. These girls of, you know, young girls who are watching uh, women's football now have idols. When we asked you before about who you looked up to, they were both male players until we pushed you a bit further. That's going to make a big, 
big difference to this game, isn't it? The fact that these young girls who are coming to these games now, they actually can visualise what it looks like for them to be in that position. Um, what do you think the legacy and impact of that is going to be? I think it's kind of what Nedham touched on before. If you've, like, say, you've not experienced it, you don't know it, do you? And I think these girls now can see female athletes and female role models doing what they want to do. And if that means coming and watch us at the Academy Stadium or watch us live on telly, they can, they want to be at Lauren Hemp or they want to be at Chloe Kelly, they want to be a Bunny Shaw. And for me, that that's an amazing feeling, like as a player, that people are wanting to either be you or go on the career that you've had. And I think that's why, as a professional footballer, you've got to enjoy it as much as you possibly can because and be the best person that you can because you actually don't know who's watching or who's wanting to, to be you. And it's amazing for young girls and boys that they can look up to those type of athletes in the near future. We've got a few questions that uh, we ask every guest, so we want to give you the opportunity to answer those. The first one, this is always the most difficult, actually, for the guest to answer for some reason, but if you could change one rule in football, what would it be? Mine would be, um, as a defender, when... <laughs> When it's so clear it's offside, but yet we play the whole part of the next phase and then you've done a massive sprint back and it's so clear it's offside, but we play for the next five minutes and it's like, all right, okay, it's offside. Well, I don't think it's just as a defender because as a spectator, it's really annoying well, as well. Okay, yeah, we'll agree on I that get one there. So Can we annoyed. change that rule? Yeah. I think, yeah, that one is not. And they all, also, when we play that phase, what if a player gets injured? So I've got to pull up it. I was going oh, go to stay silent. Tell me five cases where someone's gotten injured. I'm you've, not you've got years now. Saying, you've got years of no, year. Not, I have to say it. Not yet. <laughs> name, me, Come on. name me five times. No, but the letting play continue when he's clearly offside. No, that's no. not what five I would years. say. What I would say, and I understand your point. I totally get it. You need to back that. I totally, five I totally get up, it. Actually. Is the fact that if say you not, Steph would never, no, <laughs> Steph would never do this. But if says someone's stepping up and someone's trying to step through on goal, yeah. in the space of a second, there can be a 20, 20 meter gap between them, so it can look very much offside. So there are times okay. when it's the right, right decision. That's a consideration. No, but like proper obvious yeah, the, ones. The yeah. Real, yeah, the really obvious ones I've got no issue with, but there are some where like in the end, because basically what I'm trying to say is my team scored a goal or something like that before. So as a consequence, I see the value in it. Okay. You know well, I'm it? glad you said it. because Well, if, if you've had a positive experience, so that's all right yeah, then. Yeah, there you go. It's all Mine's about me. This is, this is my Mine podcast. Has, yeah. <laughs> There's been a lot of the Etihad this year where I just look at it and think, what are we doing? But anyway, Stop I think that's a, you. I, grumpy glad. old man. I'm really glad. That's Shout at the clouds yet again. <laughs> Second one we always ask is, what's the last thing kind of outside of football that you binge, like a, a Netflix series, a podcast series, something like that? Have you got anything um, that you've married at first sight? Australia. Australia. Yeah, yeah, my mum loves this. Yeah, I've got three episodes to go. Three to go. Oh, I just need to binge them all right. in one night. I think. Word association. How about if I say the word Harrison? What comes to your mind? I don't think I can say it on this podcast. Perfect. She's part of my team. She'll <laughs> she'll go for. Finally, if you could ask our next guest anything, and we don't reveal the identity of the guest, what would it be? The only clue is obviously they're connected to football and and Manchester City. So Kimsey's one was about what positives do you take and a negative? Yes, that was hers, which I thought was a good one. Well, you've said everyone's a good one. They'll try and... Like, so, Owen Hargreaves was a good one. I enjoyed his. So you're saying the some other ones the others were good. Some of the others I said... Well, well, I, oh, oh, I was just being polite. I, I need being... inspired what Owen Hargreaves asked. He spoke about a moment in his career when he went past two players on a Champions League night and a penny dropped inside where he thought, I'm good enough to be at the top of the game. And he asked if there was a particular moment for them. Oh, OK. And he knew at that point, like, I deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. Mine would be, um, what attribute 
must every player have to be successful? That's a good one. Yeah. And also within a city context, maybe we can we can mm-hmm. stretch that because we have a certain way of playing here oh, that's replicated, don't we? I'm just on message. City TV I'm, on, I'm very, I'm very <laughs> on message. Branding, branding. We will ask that one. So, Steph, thank you so much. Thank you. For joining us. We really appreciate your time uh, and we look forward to seeing you play many more games for City. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. What a finish. A goal that Steph Walton's performance deserves. She has been precise with her passing and now perfect with her finishing. Leading by example... Captain's goal from Steph Horton. The official Manchester City podcast. There we go. Steph in conversation with myself and Nader Manua. What did you think of that one? Yeah, class. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm exceptionally biased, as people heard from the intro. Like, you know, she's a friend of mine, but that interview is everything I hoped it would be. And there's more to come from her on the field, off the field and everything. So exciting times. She definitely exudes uh, leadership, doesn't she? Just like the way she came in, the way she sat down, the way she speaks. Yeah, she's done it before. And there's a thing about the experience and the confidence and comfort that she has in her own skin as well. And I think that's something that makes her as good as she has been, as good as she will be going forward as well. Yeah, I mean, you speak to any City women's player and she gets referenced as somebody they look up to, which is testament, isn't it, to her? Should we start hashtag statue for Steph outside of the Academy Stadium? What are we thinking? I think it's possible. I'm just, to be fair, she's been there 10 years. I'm looking forward to a testimonial. Maybe I'll get a kick about. That's what I'd like. There's a lasting impact here, isn't there? I mean, again, she's got a long way to go and anyone who's seen her playing in recent weeks and months will, will, will recognise that. She's, she's nowhere near the end of a playing career from what I can make out, but you can already feel that legacy piece with Akani, you know, she's had such an impact. Yeah, I think it helps that when you think about all those years that City women have been around, say, on a sort of bigger stage, you see her face with every picture. So she has literally been along this journey. The journey has been hers as much as it's been the club's as well. Yeah. And that's that's essentially what legacy is because you could have come, you could have gone, but this is her home. And she's helped form what the culture is today. Yeah. And even to the point of the future, if she ends up leaving, her legacy still remains at the club because the way people are would be based on the way that she's been during her time at the football club. Which is why actually it was interesting that Vincent was brought into it because there's an argument to say that she's the women's team's version of Vincent because he was here during that period of change. Kyle Walker, when we spoke to him, was talking about Vincent Company and his legacy and Vinny left the football club over, was it over five years ago. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for the people that sort of made the club what they are today. Says everything, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining us on the latest episode of the official Manchester City podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever it is you do your podcast listening. And if you've got an idea of a guest you want to see sit here in this chair alongside myself and Nadam, leave us a review, drop the name in there, and we'll do our best to make sure we get that person on. Until next time, thank you very much for joining us and we look forward to seeing you again soon. The official Manchester City podcast. Watch the full video version of this show via City Plus and Recast Now. This podcast is produced by Voiceworks Sport and Manchester City.